Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Through their eyes, our special series featuring Utah teenagers discussing current events on Utah's Morning News with Tim and Amanda. Such a pleasure it is every week to get a chance to sit down with the most interesting young people and ask them, how do you understand the news of the week? And this week, I have three young women with me in studio. Eden is here along with Julia and Haley. Welcome. Welcome to you, all three. Thank, thank you for you. Thank, thank you for coming. Um, so many topics to talk about. May I start with one that is in the news every day and has been for several weeks now, and that is coronavirus. Um, are you concerned? Should we be more concerned? I, I heard just the other day that coronavirus is so much more deadly than the regular flu. And I think about how many people die from the regular flu. And then we're watching the Americans come back and be quarantined here in the United States, including a Utah. As you look at this, Eden, how do you how do you see the issue? What, do, what are your thoughts in general? Comment in any way you like. I'm going to be totally honest with you. The When I first heard about coronavirus, I, I've heard that the United States is like has the least amount is one of those countries yes. that doesn't hasn't been affected by it as much. Um, but the first thought I had about it was like I don't think I want to go to China <laughs> anymore. It is a little bit scary. Um, yeah. And don't want to travel to Asia at all. I think you and the world. I mean, how many airlines stopped flying there relatively quickly after it was announced? And I think some still aren't flying there. Uh, What were your thoughts when you first when you first heard about it, Julia? Well, I was so I I view it honestly as it's to me, I think of it as almost the Ebola, uh, Ebola virus, where it's similar in the fact that, yes, it was a really big thing in other countries. But when you brought it back to America, it was so small. It was a very small issue because we had a lot more resources to put into helping the people who were um, affected with the virus, whereas in other places like Africa and even China, they don't have as many resources to put in it. So I know that, at least from my perspective, it doesn't seem like it's going to be affecting our country super big in the sense that people are going to be getting sick really bad in our country. But I do think of it as people who have companies or factories in China will be directly affected by it because of the of the outbreak in China where now workers aren't able to go to work there. So it's it's causing problems with companies here in America, but I'm not sure if I would say that it's 
so much of a big problem with people getting super sick here in America. I mean, we, we saw, uh, you know, we're recording this program on Tuesday. We saw Apple reporting that they can't get there. So many of their component parts are made in China. And that's just the biggest company that we know of. Think of all of the smaller companies that purchase so that some part of their supply chain is from China. That's got to be thousands and thousands and thousands of American companies. That is a, a wonderful point. So what, what do you think about this, Haley? So what a lot of people may not realize it's, is that the coronavirus is a broad virus. There are many different strains of it. And so this new strain is one that we haven't seen before. But actually the common cold is a strain of the coronavirus. There are just different levels of it, and coronaviruses generally are spread from animals to humans. So this this is really an issue where there are poor living conditions, where there are a lot of animals that are infected running around, and that is seen a lot. That is seen in a lot of areas in China because it is a poorer country on the most part, and it's they have um, different living conditions from what we have here. So it is easier for them to be affected and be uh, really taken down by that sort of illness, especially because as I was kind of looking into this more, the research shows that many of the people that have um, suffered from this and have actually died from it were already ill to begin with based on their living conditions and things that they had to deal with. So it's not really the healthy people that have to worry so much as the people that have, um, that already have pre-existing conditions or already have illnesses. And where this hasn't killed anyone in the United States that I know of yet, it's mostly just affecting those who are in poorer countries, especially where it originated in China. There were a lot of people that didn't have access to a lot of um, cleanliness, uh, cleanly spaces. So it was, I don't think that it's something that we need to worry about here particularly because we do have more resources, but it is something that we can maybe think about and work on sharing with those that don't have it, sharing our resources. Let me ask you this then, Haley, and I'd like a comment from all three of you on this question. How much do you think the form of government in China plays a role in the spread of coronavirus and in the death toll, because had the original doctor been able to, felt comfortable in, um, been supported in speaking up, saying, this is deadly, I found something, instead of feeling like I'm going to be punished in some way by the government, not being supported in speaking up, um, you know, because he's living in a system where these kinds of things are squelched rather than brought to light. S- speak to me about the effect of communism and fear of government with the death toll of something like coronavirus. I think communist governments often lead to a poor population. And that is where this poor health is coming from. They aren't able to receive what they need because they aren't able to either provide it for themselves or bring it to themselves when they need it because so much is controlled by the government. So when there is a setup 
of communism, there are a select wealthy people who have many opportunities, and then the rest of everybody has to pay into them and help support them, but they are not really able to support themselves. So I think that it really does have a big impact on how this is affecting the Chinese people. Mm. What do you say, Julian? I do think, I similar to what Haley's um, thinking about it, I do think that it does have a big impact on the access that the people have to their resources because communist governments um, – stamp out diversity, stamp out individuality, because now it's the government saying, this is what you get to do. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're proficient in one area or another, this is what you get to do. So whereas diversity really does fuel a company's, I mean, not company, a, a country's wealth, like America, how we have so much diversity and our government allows us to choose what we want to do, what we want to become. Because of that, we are able to get more resources because now we have people focusing on something they're good at and doing what they're good at. Whereas in a communist country, it's the government saying, you get to do this, you have to do this. It's does, it doesn't matter if you feel, oh, I want to be I want to be a farmer. I feel like I'd be better at being a farmer. No, you get to work in this company. You get to work in this factory. So it really does, because of the lack of diversity or um, individual individualism in a in a country that's communist, it does affect the access to resources and the amount of resources a communist country can have. Mm. What do you say, Eden? Um, yeah, I don't know much about this, but from from what I've heard, kind of what we were talking about, they're shutting down airlines to China and um, not letting Chinese citizens leave and businesses are also in danger. And I think the government would be a little bit scared about that. I don't know. Less business, you know, less people coming to their country. And not only that, but with the individual citizen, I mean, those who are poor and less fortunate aren't being taken care of as much. Mm. Thank you for the comments on that uh, difficult topic. I think everyone all, the, all over the world is still trying to figure out uh, this difficult topic. I, I want to switch now and ask you about um, one of the topics that I think is, is, is still something that we're struggling with, we being parents um, and educators, is vaping in school. And they're talking about it on Utah's Capitol Hill because here's the question they're coming up with that they're struggling with. What is the legal right thing to do? When you, it's clear that it's illegal for children to vape. That's clear. So if a child is caught vaping in a school and they have a vaping device on them, what do you do with that vaping device? What is the punishment for vaping? And what do you do with that vaping device, which probably doesn't belong to them? But in, e in any event, what if it's the parent's vaping device or a sibling's vaping device? Are you allowed to take that property? And keep, what's, the le what's the right legal um, answer to this difficult problem? And we'll start with you, Julia. Yeah, so I actually feel like this has... The um, the bill that's just been introduced recently by uh, Representative Susan Pulsiver is a really it's it's a good start in the right direction because my view on government is that it shouldn't be controlling but it should be able to pass laws that not force a person to do something but encourage a person to do something in a way that they can now do their own policies or their own procedures without being told, no, this is the policy you have to adopt. You have to do this. So with, you know, Representative Pulsifer's um, bill that she's trying to pass, the HB 58 bill, it's in a way encouraging schools to 
create policies without telling them you have to create a you have to create a policy this way. So what it really and in, in, in a way in in a way that it's forcing them to encourage is um, they are they're making it illegal for vaping devices to be used or even brought onto a school property. Now, they're not telling them you have to take care of the vaping device this way. They're giving the freedom to the schools to decide what they want to do with the vaping devices, but they're saying this this is now legal for anything to be caught on school property. So it's giving the schools their own freedom to decide what their policy is going to be. Well, at the same time, the government is still also taking a step into it and helping the schools realize this is a big issue because a lot of students, a lot of teenagers don't even know that vaping devices are bad. They think they're only... Because their parents vape. Exactly, yeah. They think they're only vaping flavored water. I mean, 20% of all teenagers in America, 20% of the teenagers in America believe that they're just vaping flavored water and not nicotine, mm-hmm. even though 5% of you know the vaping devices contain nicotine. So it is, it is in a way helping schools realize this is a real issue and we need to be taking care of this, but you can decide how you would like to take care of this depending on your students and depending on the area your school currently resides mm. in. What do you think, Haley? I would I would agree with Julia that this bill that they are working on in Congress right now would be a step in the right direction. Because with my understanding, it was not illegal for a minor to possess and use an e-cigarette or a vaping device on school property with the current laws. So this would be changing that, and this would be making it illegal for a minor to even possess any sort of vaping device. I honestly think that this is a very severe topic because a lot of the contents of e-cigarettes is very toxic especially nicotine is very very addictive and uh, teenagers don't really know that and when your brain is still growing and developing in your teenage years you are way more susceptible to addictions like that and when they have access to it from their parents with or without their permission I think that extreme measures should be taken because this is our future generation, right? These are the these are the future leaders. And if they have access to this, if they're exposed to it at this age, it can be very harmful for them. So I I do believe that it would be appropriate for the schools to take away that device that they had and or destroy it. Mm. Mm. Eden, what do you say? Schools are such a such a valuable place. I mean, the government has provided us with this opportunity to send kids to school, to improve their minds, to learn and to grow and become a better person. And having vaping devices and smoking on school property, I think, affects that environment so much. And when you're on government property and there is a law prohibiting vaping devices, I see nothing wrong with restricting that when it's on government property and they're affecting the people around them, especially in the school. Can I ha- switch to a topic that is also about uh, rights of teenagers, but it's not in the same order that I gave you. I want to ask you about the tanning bed thing, <laughs> because I think this is fascinating. <clears throat> so here's a law, another law that's being proposed in Utah that would prohibit teenagers from using tanning beds, even if they had 
the permission of their parents. So, okay, I'm not going to put my my two cents in. I want to know what you think. And then I might ask some follow-up questions. Can I start with you, Hanny? Yes. So I think this is a very interesting law that they are working on passing because uh, I have I do have a strong opinion on this. Please. I don't believe the government should be involved in something like this because it is an individual's choice that is not harming anybody else. Right. So there is the potential that they could get skin cancer. How is this different from vaping? So this is different from vaping because they uh, there are designated places for the tanning beds. Right. And on school property, it is not allowed on school property, right, which is the government's property. It is not an individual um, company's property. So the government does have control over that, where the government does not have control over these individual companies uh, telling them what, who they can or cannot accept business from. Yeah. Okay, I have another follow-up question, but I guess I'll go over to you, Eden. What do you think of this tanning bed law? Um, I agree with Haley. Um it's I, when I first read it about it, I thought it was a little bit silly just because, you know, there is harm of skin cancer and it is dangerous. But if an individual chooses that, then that's their choice. They have the freedom to choose that. How is it different from vaping, in your opinion? Because isn't vaping their individual choice? And isn't that equally harmful? Well, yeah, as I said before, schools are just such a valuable place. And I feel like vaping and smoking and stuff like that affects others more. Um, whereas tanning beds, you can go and choose that, and it doesn't necessarily affect other people around you. Hmm. What about, oh, let me get your opinion first. Uh, Julia, what do you say? So I am also, I also have <clears throat> not exactly strong opinions on this one. My, my, my feelings were kind of mixed because I do try to go towards more of a conservative viewpoint. I don't like the idea of government having too much control. But it is true that tanning beds do cause harm to the person. But I guess you could say the the major difference between the two, the vaping the situation and then the tanning bed situation is that it is very similar to what, you know, Haley and Eden have already said that tanning beds are affecting that single person, not affecting anybody else around them. Whereas when you are vaping on school property, you are affecting yourselves as well as affecting other people around you. And since and then the other big distinction is that tanning beds are owned by individual companies they have their own they have their own policies their own procedures in place whereas a school is a gov- i mean at least a public school is a government owned um, entity so they are they are allowed to make the decisions about the public schools whereas with tanning beds things like that they can't make those decisions because it's not their property it's not something they own so so what about the right of the parents to give permission is the government stepping in and removing that parental Right? You're nodding. Haley, what do you say? I, I do think that it is the government stepping in because it's – the government is not supposed to be raising our children. The government needs to be limited on what they can and cannot do. And I do believe that they would be overstepping in this because it is not their job to decide what is best for our children and what is not best for our children. It is the parents' job because most parents have what is best for their children in the front of their mind. They're not going to be forgetting about it and saying, oh, yeah, go do exactly what you want whenever you want. They're going to be working on educating their children and helping them make the best choices. So I, I really don't like 
the idea of the government stepping in this way because I do believe parents can handle it. Mm. What do you do? You agree with that, Ian? Yeah. Mm. Do you agree with that, Julia? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that the government should be raising our children because I mean, in the words of one of our founding fathers, a government is a fire that needs to be contained. So you still recognize that it's a fire, but it's a necessary fire, something you still need to have in order to have order and to actually prosper and grow as a country, but it's still something that shouldn't be overstepping its bounds because that can cause harm to other people. Interesting, especially from your point of view, uh, (laughs) being closer to that age group. I want to ask you now about an interesting uh, law that our own Senator Lee was supportive of, uh, Senator Romney not supportive of, but this was uh, a, a law that would limit President Trump's ability to engage in any kind of war action toward Iran without um, the permission of a approval of Congress. Um, so the president could veto this law. I'm not sure whether there is uh, sufficient support in Congress to override that veto or not. But the Senate passed this law. They're worried about what's taken place so far in Iran, and they want to make sure that President Trump doesn't do anything else regarding Iran without the approval of Congress. Do you think that's a good idea, Eden? I'll start with you. Yeah, so I thought this was very interesting. And thinking back on our Constitution, you know, Congress is the only, you know, the only thing that can declare war on another country. The president cannot do that. Um, however, the president has the ability to um, act if there, it, something needs an immediate response, if there's a time of crisis and such. And I feel like, you know, in the Constitution, it seems a little bit vague. And over the years, we have slowly, you know, kind of defined that down. I, I believe Congress um, passed something that they kind of defined what the president could and could not do, what what was considered a crisis and such. But even though we've kind of narrowed that down over the years, I think there's still a lot of holes, especially with the war with Iran. And I I support this bill because because it kind of fixes those holes more and, and puts that power back with Congress where it's supposed to be. Interesting. Julia? So I, I actually have, this is probably the one that I do have the strongest feeling about, because before I did too much research, did really too much you know, about it, I thought, whoa, 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 hold up. Why are you taking away this right from the president? We are already at war with Iran. I mean, he's just doing his presidential duties. But the more you think about it, the more you realize that it's not actually, you know, we're not, we're technically, we have technically never actually declared war on Iran. But you also have to take a different approach and look at it. And you have to think, because, you know, from our approach, we may be thinking, oh, we're just we're just having a war against terrorism. But Iran's probably not thinking, oh, no, they're just warring on our terrorism. They're probably thinking, whoa, they're attacking us. They, they just, don't make that distinction. No, yeah. they don't make that distinction. Like, oh, they're just attacking our terrorism. So I, f- I have mixed feelings about this particular, you know, about this particular resolution because I feel like, you know, the our presidents in the past have already been ma- taking actions against Iran, and it's only until President Trump came in and actually, you know, was doing the same thing all the other presidents were doing that everybody started getting all heated up about it. Even though President Obama did 
pretty much the same thing and more, and everyone still loves him. So I view it more as not so much as, well, we're just trying to take our powers back. We're just trying to make sure that the Constitution is being preserved. More, I think it more along the lines of, we don't like Trump being in power, so we're going to try our you know, we're going to try our hardest to take back as much power as we possibly can. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like, yes, it's a good thing to be defining the holes and filling them up. But I feel like this particular approach isn't a good idea because I don't think that that's the reason why they're creating this resolution. Not to fill up the holes that have been left behind by the other presidents in the past, but to be taking power away from somebody simply because they just don't like that person being in control. So I do I have very mixed I do have very mixed feelings about Interesting. this resolution. Haley. I also have mixed feelings about this because it is not the president's duty or even right to declare war based on the constitution. It is Congress's job. And I think that Congress is worried that President Trump is going to do something that will cause an all-out war with Iran. And it's it is something that is it's difficult. It's a difficult balance between the president and Congress to handle war with like this. But I don't see how what President Trump has I don't see what President Trump has done to cause them to react this way. I think that he has done some very good things for our country. He ordered um the attack on who was it it was you're thinking of the iranian general yes yes and that was honestly it was very mm-hmm. good it was a good thing to happen because he had done so many things that were directly um affecting our country right and so i think that he was just doing his job but at the same time he does seem to be a fairly impulsive uh, commander in chief, and he doesn't he doesn't think about things very long for very long or very well. And so the Congress is trying to they're not telling him that he can't do anything. They're telling them that he would need to uh, go to them first and talk with them first before he made any of these big actions that could potentially start a war. So I do have mixed feelings about this because I don't think the president has done anything yet that would warrant this. But at the same time, he hasn't done anything yet. But he could, based on his past behavior, how impulsive it has been. So I, I don't know if I am in support of mm. this or not because there are there are two different sides of it. Yeah. But you're thinking it through, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. This is Through Their Eyes on KSL News Radio. Back in a moment. This week on Through Their Eyes, Eden is here with Julia and Haley, and we're talking about a number of different issues. Um, I want to ask you, we were talking about President Trump and and um, the um, law that was initiated in the Senate that Senator Lee was in support of before the break there. I wanted to ask you about um, something that President Trump mentioned in an interview, I think with the Geraldo Rivera, if I remember. Um, he said that he might consider ending the practice 
of having other people listen in on his phone calls with foreign leaders, which is something that's been done now for, for many, many years, in large measure to protect the president, as I understand it, so that if any promises are made or any anything comes out and the foreign leader tries to come back and say, hey, but you promised, you know, that there was someone else who was in on the conversation who can then be, uh, you know, sort of a, a witness to what was said during the conversation. But because his impeachment uh, came out of that conversation that he had with the leader of, of Ukraine, he's thinking about ending letting other people listen in to these phone calls. Is that a good idea in your opinion? What do you say, Julia? All right. So I I definitely say that this is – I feel very similar on this issue as I do with the issue of the, um, the, the resolution to prevent Donald Trump or President Trump from doing anything he wants to with Iran before passing it through Congress. I have a similar perspective because the way I view it is it's – it is another way that Congress is, you know, because if you think about it, I mean, there have been so many other things that a president has done that deserved impeachment. And then you have Donald Trump, where when I listened on the phone call, because I have read through the, the scripts and I have listened to the phone call, there doesn't seem to be anything in there that's worthy of an impeachment. I mean, yes, there there were some things that were just a little bit, you know, well, I wish that would have been a little bit more explained, but there was nothing that seemed that dire for President Trump to go through an impeachment. So I do feel as if this is this is a way of Congress not saying, oh, we want our powers back. We don't want you to, you know, we, we, we just want to make you safe. We just want to make sure that everything's going okay. Instead, I do view it as a, oh, no, we don't like you being in office. We don't like you being our president. So let's let's do our best to get him out. And I feel like the second thing to this issue is that this practice has never actually been a law. It's just been a practice. Right. Meaning it is that just there, a practice. Exactly. Meaning there has never been any structure to this, meaning they can just listen in whether they want to, listen in when they don't want to. So I do think that it is within, you know, Trump's rights to say, nope, I'm going to end this because it's it's similar to uh, it's similar to the DACA program that uh, President Obama put forth where he didn't pass through Congress to get this thing issued. It was just one of his one of his new ideas he set forth until his end until the end of his term. Mm -hmm. So I do view that it is very similar to that where he says, yes, I can. I have the right to end this practice because it's not an actual law, meaning there's nothing I have to go through. I'm not forced to do I'm not this, forced to do this, meaning why should I have to, especially considering the recent events where, you know, people were using this this um, practice they've been having in place to try to get him out of office. So I do think that it is a good idea for him to be saying, no, I don't want this around. But I do agree in the importance of there being something around f to en to encourage or um, ensure the protection of the president. But I think that if they wanted to try getting a law passed or have some sort of way of creating structure to this to this um, th this practice they've had, then I do think that is a good approach. But definitely, yeah, I do support the idea of him saying, nope, I'm done with this because it has done nothing but um, affect our country in the negative instead of it being a positive thing for our president. What do you think, Haley? I think he would be shooting himself in the foot. He he was impeached, but he wasn't removed from office. And he was impeached because of people misinterpreting what he said on purpose. They purposefully misinterpreted what he said. I also was reading through the script and I found nothing 
that warranted his impeachment. So even if people tried to use it against him, there are still logical, good people that will be going over the case and thinking through it. Instead of purposely misinterpreting it, they will be thinking through it properly. And I think if he took away this safety measure to protect him, that is the reason why they have this, is to protect the president. If someone tries to accuse him of saying something that he didn't or anything of that nature, they would have those witnesses to help defend him. So I think that taking that away would just be giving his opposition more ammo, especially because they would then have the ability to accuse him of hiding something, of not wanting the rest of the government officials to know what he was doing, what he was talking about with these other countries. So I don't think it would be a good idea, and I think it would actually be him sabotaging himself. Mm, what are you thinking? I'm always in favor of more checks and balances on power, you know, making sure a president isn't doing things he's not supposed to be doing. Um, you know, the more checks and balances, the better. But at the same time, I look at the other side of the argument and we, you know, we voted in this president in office and we trust him with these responsibilities. And one of his responsibilities is communicating with other countries and such. And we need to have faith and trust in him that he'll be able to do his job and to work with these other countries. Um, but I definitely think we need to reform um, who listens in on these calls because I was reading an article and it says like dozens of officials can join the call. You know, there, there are m many people listening in on Donald Trump's calls, but if we were to refine that, you know, to just a few people, we can still have those checks and balances, but you know, it won't um, harm our relationship with other countries and what Donald Trump's trying to do with them. Mm, interesting. Um, before the time is gone, I have a couple of other uh, topics I want to bring up. One is based on an interview that um, the Attorney General uh, gave, the Attorney General Barr gave, where he was talking about um, President Trump's tweets. And not all of his tweets. I think he was specifically tweets about the Justice Department, about active uh, criminal cases in the Justice Department. And he said something like this. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. When the president tweets about active cases, he makes it impossible for me to do my job. Um, so I guess my general question, I think I'm starting with you. Am I starting with you this time, Haley? Um, do you understand where the attorney general is coming from there. If you were the attorney general, would you have said something similar? I wish you wouldn't tweet about cases that I'm overseeing. Does that make sense to you? It com it makes complete sense to me. I think that it would be difficult for me if he was doing that to me while I was trying to handle cases and work on something and he was uh, going out and tweeting about things, accusing people of lying or saying, oh, this person's handling this case that's completely out of control and shouldn't have even been brought. So he is then painting a picture for the rest of the country in a light that maybe I wouldn't want to be seen until the case was finished with. So I do like the transparency that it offers. It The makes, tweeting? Uh-huh. It makes it so it's really hard to cover up things that are happening it's like oh we don't want people to know about this going on here we want to kind of keep it low but he is uh, refusing to allow that to happen so I do like that transparency and that 
kind of forced honesty there. But at the same time, it would make it a little difficult if I was the one trying to handle the cases and then him causing this um, commotion on the side out here about the cases that are currently happening. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, think about it. If you're, you're, the, att- you're the attorney general, Eden, and um, you're saying the president did not ask me to change my recommendation on a case, but he's tweeting that he wants the case to change, and then it changes. It, that just looks bad every way from Sunday. And yet, what, what can you do? You know, you're saying he didn't ask me. That's just what he tweets. I'm going to make my own decision. You see where the, where the difficulty is. Yeah, that's that's got to be frustrating. I, I feel bad for him. But, you know, Trump Trump's tweets, I, I would probably respond the same way, maybe. Um, but at the same time, you know, Trump has just as much freedom of speech as I do. He he can say whatever he wants. Oh, but there's more of an impact when he does than when yeah, you do. Yeah, it's true. I think it's it's kind of mean <laughs> the way he's doing it, definitely. But but he's got freedom of speech just as much as I do. And if I can share my opinions, then I guess Donald Trump can as well. Yeah. What do you say, Julia? I also have mixed feelings about this. <laughs> I I do feel as though Donald Trump, with the amount of tweeting he's been doing about open cases, is, is making it more difficult for the attorney general to be able to handle it with the finesse that he's trying to do. You know, he's trying to handle it a certain way. And because of Donald Trump's constant tweeting about it, it's making it more difficult for him to handle it the way he he knows he needs to handle it and he wants to handle it because now it looks bad if he doesn't handle it the way that Trump has been tweeting about. So I can definitely see where he's coming from because I, I, you know, putting myself in his shoes, that'd be so frustrating. I also do definitely believe that there should be, because when you are the president you are not like just any other citizen of America. You are in a you are a part of the government and the government doesn't have the same freedoms and rights. I mean obviously they still have the freedom of religion, they still have the freedom of speech, they still have the freedom, you know, to the press, they still have the freedom to do what they want, but there's more regulations to what they can and cannot say, especially about open cases or even, you know, undercover agents. You can't just tell the whole world about undercover agents because that would be abusing the safety of our country. Uh, so I feel it's a similar in a similar light where you can't just say whatever you want to say, even if the president does have the freedom of the speech. He should still be more, you know, careful with what he is sharing on his tweeting, because the transparency. I I appreciate the transparency. I do love a transparent government, but I also understand that there still needs to be some areas. I mean, the market the can crash based on something he says. Exactly. Inadvertently. Exactly. So there should or still, on yeah. purpose, but either way, I mean, the, the, the exactly. impact is, is outrageous. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he needs to be, he needs to be more careful than I would say other people. Cause if I just want to say whatever I want, that's great, but I'm not going to be broadcasted all over the country. You know, nobody knows the name of, you know, my name, like Julia, nobody knows that name. So it's, it's not going to be, of the same impact as Donald Trump's tweets, whereas now the whole country can read them in a few seconds. So I do feel as though there should be some sort of restriction on what he can and cannot share. If he wants to share about open cases, he should be able to, he should be required to check in with the attorney general to see, hey, I want to post this. Can I post this? And he can say, ah, actually, no, because that's going to mess up my case and it's going to ruin what I'm trying to 
work right now. Mm. So, it, yeah, I do think there should be some sort of regulation, but I, I honestly do appreciate Donald Trump's transparency. That, that makes me want to ask you a follow-up question. Um, do you hope the next president, whether Donald Trump has a, a second term or, or not, so whoever follows President Trump, whether it's in a year or five years, do you hope that president also tweets in or do you hope because some um, some of the candidates in the Democratic Party, and I'm not sure whether they'll be the same candidates in five years, should it be five years? Some of them have said, I will not tweet. But I don't know. Twitter may be just part of the way we communicate. So it may be such a part. And I don't know whether it's still, I mean, social media and the way we communicate changes so quickly. I'm not sure whether that will still be the case in five years. But do you hope the next president tweets in the same way or in a similar way? Um, that's, an, that's an interesting question. I think social media has definitely become a part of our society. And I don't know if I could say I would mind if our next president tweeted. However, like, I, I think Donald Trump or President Trump has been a little bit mean on Twitter, you know? <laughs> like, even though he is very transparent, you know, very open at the same time, I think there's there are some things I would want our next president to change on what he shares on social media and such. Do you feel the same, Juliet? I, yes, I do feel the same to an extent. I think, because looking on both ends, you know, it's very easy to get offended about something. And especially when it's coming from somebody you inherently just, you just don't like from the very beginning. So it's, you know, no matter what they're saying to you, oh, you know, offense. And I I, I notice that our, our country is very feeling-centered. We do have a lot of feelings first, facts later kind of people in our country. So I, I have, I think I would say I probably have a different perspective than Eden, even though I do, I do feel very similar on, on the topic as she does. I do, I would appreciate a president who tweets, even if it can be perceived as rude, because I also believe that people shouldn't take such easy offense at the things that other people say, because just because one person says it doesn't mean it's true. And so, I mean, it's, although coming from a president, it has a lot more impact than a normal citizen. You know, if you say, oh, you're dumb, that person can say, well, whatever, you're just one of my peers. But if a president says, you caused this case to fail, everyone's going to be looking at you and saying, oh, so you're one of those people. So I can definitely see the impact it would have, but I would prefer more transparency rather than less transparency. Mm. So if there had to be the control, I would prefer the transparency. What do, you, do you want the next president to tweet as well, whether that person is Republican or, or Democrat following President Trump? I like the tweeting at this point because the the media is largely owned by the Democratic Party. They own the news. They own the press. They own so much of it. And they, therefore, get to control what gets talked about and what doesn't. And they don't really want to talk about things that paint Trump in a positive light, right? Because it's no secret that the Democrats don't like Trump. And they they don't want to talk about these things that he wants them to cover. And so a way that he has to kind of control that and stand up for himself is by tweeting. He therefore forces them to cover that because they have to try to, oh, well, he tweeted about this, so now we have to cover this. Now we have to try to either hide it if they want to or talk about it in a way that they see fit. So it's it's kind of a way that he is standing up for himself. So I'm not sure how I would view this with a with a Republican president because or with a Democratic president because the news and the media would already be covering things that 
the Democratic president would probably want to talk about. But then what about like in the reverse with Fox News? Mm -hmm. Because how would Fox News cover a Democratic president? Would they cover tweets from a Democratic president since they would be inclined to dislike anything a Democratic president would say, according to your Probably, um, probably, yeah. So, so we I, have, we have I that. do like There's that. that problem with the polarization of yeah. media, uh, at least national media. But that's that's a common uh, a topic for another day. But that's a, that's a great uh, uh, th- another road to go down. Um, before before the time is gone, it's almost gone. May I ask you a general question? Because I, I love to sort of get the perspective of people your age on larger questions. And I wanted you to just project to later in life. If you can. And tell me, uh, in your mind, picture yourself 50 years old, way down the road. Uh, what does a happy 50-year-old Julia look like? What does it take? What is the description of a f- happy 50-year-old Julia look like? Yeah, so I I do, I value family a lot. I really do value my connections. And yes, at this time in life, it can be really hard to be with your family because you want to go out and do your own thing. You want to be independent. And it's can it can feel stifling in a way when your parents, you know, tell you, oh, no, 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 you have to do this. Oh, no, 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 you can't go out that late. And you're already feeling, oh, I'm ready. I can do this. Even though, let's be honest here, you're not totally ready for it. But the connection that you can build between your family members, whether or not they get on your nerves at times, that definitely is something that I greatly value. So I I feel like what would make me happy in the future is still having a family uh, a connection with all of my family members even the siblings that you know annoy me the most but yeah definitely having that connection between all of my family members would make me the happiest 50 year old on the whole planet <laughs> what about for you eden what what does a happy 50 year old eden look like um kind of the same as julia just family but i i want to add one thing I, one of my favorite movies is the secret garden and for my whole life, I'm just like, when I'm 50, I'm going to have a secret garden. So <laughs> <laughs> that's me happy at 50, secret garden and hanging out with my family. I can picture that. <laughs> what, what about for you, Haley? What does a 50-year-old happy Haley look like? So I am actually really introverted. And I like to, I'm a homebody. I like to be at home. I like to be with my people, enjoying my favorite things. And so as I was thinking about this, I was just like, you know what? I want to have my family surrounding me. I want to have children. I want to have grandchildren running around, screaming, having fun, playing. But then I also want good food. I want to be warm because I hate being cold. And I want to have ultimately freedom and the presence of God in my life. So that that's just me, happy at 50. I have to tell you, I, I am, you and I are the same because I am sort of a hermit myself. Mm-hmm. This is, I know my job would seem to indicate otherwise, but I am sort of a, an introverted person myself. I, as long as I have a book to read, you know, and a warm drink, I am a happy person <laughs> and, and family. Yeah. We are the same, we four. If we have family, we are happy. The three of you are delightful. It was a joy to meet you. Thank you so much for coming. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.